Welcome to Decades from Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Alton of 40%German.com and as always I'm joined by my co-host Dilly Algema to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, how's it going? Hi Nick, how are you? <sighs> I'm really tired, but before we talk about my general knackeredness, if that's a word, I believe you've got a question for me. I believe I have. My question for you this week, Nick, is what can a neighbor do to get on your bad side? Well, it's rather the question of what can they do to get on my good side? They're already on my bad side. No, no, no. <laughs> this last year has been the first time that we've had proper neighbors. Mm-hmm. And they all seem very nice. But I guess I guess it's just moaning and complaining about things would be the first thing. I'm quite relaxed when it comes to living in close proximity to other people because mm-hmm. we're in a Rhine house and that's quite typical for the northeast are uh, these like terraced houses right I'm much more used to badly built British terraced houses where you hear everything mm-hmm. and where I live the houses are don't have paper thin walls so mm-hmm. noise is not really an issue particularly I guess it's just meaningless complaints you know and I'm lucky we don't have that but people kind of complaining about about the bins or complaining about mm. something my daughter was doing that would be the sort of thing because other than that I don't really mind do you have troublesome neighbors no not here not no. in this country what do you mean not in this country <laughs> is that a sri lankan thing then is there like a sri lankan bad neighbor policy or no i think my parents think they have very good neighbors they're also relatives and mm. when i'm there my parents roll their eyes at me the neighbors are loud at 2 a.m. Oh yeah, you've told me about mm-hmm. the sort of incidents of trying to tell them to shut up, but I think that experience of having family members as neighbors was was a totally new thing for me when I came to Germany. Like it's the case that with my wife's family, her sort of mother and her siblings all kind of live within about 10 meters of each other. Mm. Like they're all in close proximity, and I find that very weird. <laughs> I find that okay. desire to live with family members that close, just odd. But maybe mm-hmm. that speaks more to the dynamic of my family versus um, my wife's family. Because mm-hmm. it just feels like the tension is ramped up slightly. Because not only mm-hmm. do you have the maybe tensions within a family, but then you have the tensions within neighbors, like parking places and Ooh. noise and those kinds of things, I can imagine. Yeah. So I'd probably be worse off if my family members lived next door to me. There was a point a few years ago where the idea was floated about buying a house that was next door to one of my wife's siblings. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't totally against it, but mm-hmm. I wasn't totally for it either. Some things you just want to keep private, right? Some <laughs> things you just, like, I don't like, because you have your family member as a neighbor and then they have a key and then they could just come and go. And basically then you live in some kind of weird 80s sitcom, don't you? Where people just walk in your house and you're like, oh, the fuck's sake. Like, I couldn't live in that experience. Could you, could, would you prefer to live with family members around you or do you actually like the, the space? I've lived, so in Germany for nearly 12 years. And in that time, mm. it was the first time I moved out of my parents' home. And so mm. I've lived apart from my parents and my brother. My brother moved out with me and he moved to Australia. Mm-hmm. I, every time I cook something nice... I want to share it with my parents because they love Mm -hmm. what I cook. And 
I, I miss them. And I, and I actually mm. would like to live down the same street where my brother lives. I mean, share the food, that sort of thing. I get that. And I love my family, but I often think about this because like, there was a point where my parents divorced, where all the families sort of split up and literally went to the, the sort of four corners of Britain. I went up to Scotland. One of my brothers went to um, Wolverhampton. One stayed in Newcastle and one went down to Falmouth, I think, which is down mm-hmm. right at the bottom of the English sort of south coast. But then they all sort of came back, whereas I still stayed in Scotland. And I think that separation allowed me to conceive of a world or an existence where I didn't live down the street or in the same city as family members. It's probably Mm. why I adapted quite quickly to living in Germany to a certain extent. I quite like my independence. I quite like Mm. being able to just do stuff. And obviously independence is a a movable feast in this sense because there's my wife's family's here but they don't live around us like the closest Mm. member of my wife's family is 40 minutes away i like Mm. the idea that we're our family unit and Mm. like i don't know i can't quite verbalize i can't quite put it into words exactly what how i feel about it because i do like i said i do miss my family but i do like that Mm. ability to stand on my own two feet to a certain extent Mm. I hear you there. I I do like my independence and uh, being able to do what I want, go where I want. And not that I can't do that if I'm living anywhere close to my parents, but like raising a family on one's own without any family members close by. Because my boyfriend is also an immigrant here in Germany and he's Dutch. And uh, settling somewhere where you don't have friends or family, or you will make friends, but they're not the lifelong friends that you've had. That's a bit daunting, you know, like mm. have someone over to watch the baby for an hour or drop the baby off somewhere for an hour or something. Mm. There's a sense of support that I know I get from my brother and his wife, even if we are so far apart. I certainly feel like, again, this is something I've thought about quite a lot. It's like, I don't have any friends, right? And what I mean by that, of course I have friends. I have lovely friends. They all live in Nuremberg, right? And I have like one friend who lives in Augsburg, but mm-hmm. having a child and then obviously in May will there'll be another child. It just restricts your ability to manage those relationships because you're so focused on the trials and tribulations of having a family and mm-hmm. your sort of life is regulated by family events rather than going to the pub or all those things. I don't know how I'd manage it if I was in Nuremberg. So like mm-hmm. next weekend... I'm hoping to see Simon and or one of or two of the other friends that we'll have. Hi, Stuart, just in case you're listening. Um, and that and that's really exciting, but it's like an event, right? It's not like mm. a casual thing. It's like I have to get a train for an hour and then I have to maybe work out if I'm going to stay at someone's house or get a hotel. It's a very different kind of dynamic. And I think that you lose something and you gain something and it's whether you can accept that balance. Mm-hmm. Because you lose your social life. Like, I don't have much of a, a social life because I'm pretty sure watching Netflix and playing D&D once a week isn't quite the same as, like, I don't know, joining a, a Farine or, like, a handball team or going mm-hmm. out to the pub to watch the football. It's a little bit different. I guess it's just you build your communities, don't you, when you move somewhere? You build your communities that you, you like. Yeah. And I think it's... It's easy to look at other people and go, oh, they've got it better, you know. As soon mm. as a parent, it's easy to look at other people who don't have kids and go, oh, God, <laughs> they must be living the life of Riley. 
But then my daughter will do stuff like she ran at me the other day and said, I missed you, daddy. And I was just like, oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. So like, but I didn't think that would be the kind of person I would be. I would thought I'd be a bit more cynical. But as we're learning, as I age, I've become a little bit more sort of chilled out. (laughs) The rage is reduced slightly. (laughs) You know, Nick, if I can say this, my brother and my sister-in-law, they just had a baby. And mm-hmm. my brother lives in Australia in a city where there are also lots of other Sri Lankans. But his mm-hmm. Sri Lankan community are our mother's siblings. Uh, and a lot of them. She comes from a family of 14 kids. Whoa. She's the 13th. <laughs> and like over Bloody half hell. of her siblings live in that city. That's pretty much like, you know, home. And my brother and my sister-in-law, they had a baby and like from the first day on, uh, they have like, you know, someone coming with the string hoppers mm. and the potato curry. Do you have dinner? Mm. Do you have lunch? Mm. I, I don't see that happening in Germany. I mean, mm. I would do it for my friends, but I don't know where people stand. If like, you know, you're ill or you've just had a baby with someone, like make sure that you have like some food on the table for the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I mean, I can see like, you know, we do have a community, but there's also like a sense of community that I value. And I can see myself mm. giving that, but I don't see myself receiving that. But I guess that's the thing of like Germany, it takes time to build the, those kinds of relationships. But uh, I'm not maybe the best person to ask because we, we had a baby in lockdown. So there was no, no one was mm. going to come and help us. And, and it really was like sink or swim. We need to work it out. We had the Hebammer, which is to say the midwife, would come over um, once a day for like the first two weeks. But then it was still very much on our own. We didn't know what we were doing and we'd argued and were sleep deprived. And I didn't really deal with the first year of having a kid very well. I don't know if that would have really improved having my mother or my mother-in-law rocking up with a big pan full of food. Like, I read a really interesting article. I should have sent it to my wife. She probably punched me in the face for, for doing that. It was about what you should and shouldn't do when you have a child. And one of the things, or the, no, the, the article itself was about the best piece of advice he'd ever been given. And it was a woman talking about when she had a baby. And she said, uh, she was speaking to a, to a mother. And a mother said, don't become the expert in the baby, right? Which is to say, your partner is going to do everything completely different from how you do it and that's okay and it was something we had to learn without anyone giving us any advice so little bits of advice like that might have been a bit more forthcoming if we had family around us and so we'd have a lot of arguments because the way I dressed the baby was different from how my wife would do it and the way I would feed the baby was different from how my wife would do it and the way I'd bathe the baby was different from how like just like there wasn't one way to do it. There's multiple ways to approach it. And I often wonder if it's particularly a German thing about this is the way we do things and we've always done them. And if you do them differently, then you're a weirdo. Or maybe it's just men and women, or maybe it's just me being British, who knows. But the advice wasn't necessarily available in the same way. But like you will manage it, but it was difficult, I think. But again, I don't take advice well. <laughs> so when people give me advice, my instinct is to go, 
and like externally i'd be like oh that's really interesting internally i'd be like fuck off fuck you uh, i'm not gonna do it this way <laughs> almost like to spite them like and i know that's a really bad way to approach life in a lot of ways and i try and mitigate it as much as possible but the fact that we didn't have loads of people telling us how to do things was actually a real benefit but there was moments where some parental advice would have been been useful and i think that would only happen by observation people seeing things happening and saying something rather than phoning my mother and going oh i was been waiting for you to have a child here's my 12 point plan for how to raise children like it was ne- that's never going to happen right so like yeah that's that's how i'd sort of perceive it I think my mother still tries that. So my brother Mali, I call him Mali because that means younger brother. It's a kinship term. Mm-hmm. So Mali and my sister-in-law, they actually wanted to have the first few months uh with the baby uh, to themselves. So it's mm-hmm. uh they didn't really want the parents flying in and being there before the birth and after. They really wanted to take care of the baby on their own and I see that. But this also means that there are <laughs> phone calls and facetimes between three continents that i have to field because my mother would decide oh what did they have for lunch that's nice but should she be eating that when she's breastfeeding she would ask me and then she would talk to her brother she would talk to her sister in law and then you know there is the diplomacy that's lacking in the algamas before my daughter was born my mum's plan was to like literally arrive days after the baby was born and we had to collectively dispeller of that idea because i knew that was not going to go well no nope. because my wife is is equally stubborn as i am so i think it's a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways more blessing than curse i think and i don't know how i'd react if say like a family member was like oh i'm just going to move to germany like i'd maybe <laughs> not feel that comfortable about that. Do you know also there's a thing of when you move and it happens to expats but I'm not an expat it happens to expats and it happens to migrants as well where the fact that you're doing it you're living in a different country you learn a different language you're working in a different place there's a, a credibility that comes with that for yourself internally but externally as well like mm-hmm. succeeding in a different country. Mhm. maybe this countries that have larger dysphoria than britain but certainly for british people it's it's kind of a wonder that i live in a different country and i've sort of talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. but the other side of it is of course i fucking like it when people go oh this is nikki lives in germany and people go oh wow what's it like living in germany and it's like you're like yeah you know like i oh, know no everyone does that you know and it, it gives a bit of an ego boost and <laughs> if i'm totally honest it would take the sheen off it a little bit if like all my family rocked up and then they were really good at it because i know like my eldest brother would be like the best at it and i'd be a like, fucking hell he's way better at being a migrant than i am <laughs> like oh like oh, i don't need that in my life he's already better at everything else and now he's better at doing the thing that i was good at so i i've got to believe that everyone kind of feels a bit like that like they take a little bit of pride yeah pride and like mm-hmm. I don't think I'm that prideful but I do I fucking do like it. <laughs> You're making it on your own neck, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean and then my wife listens to it and goes, "Hang on a bloody second on your own." <laughs> I was there for the whole time. <laughs> um yeah, so Just Nick and Web MD. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So, um 
Yeah, I've got I've got some alarming news that I think I need to tell you, Dilly, that you might not be aware of. But tell me. I'm pretty sure producer Simon's trying to blackmail me, and I'm getting a bit worried, right? Because he sent me a message yesterday where he'd effectively edited something I'd said that said something different. And then said, I could blackmail you with this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, like, I don't have anything for you to blackmail me for. But, uh, and I mean, is it just me? Is he, is he just coming after me or is he going after you, Dilly? Is he, is he coming after both of us or is it, am I the focus <laughs> of his dastardly plans? You know, he's not coming after me, which means that I have to decide now which team I want to join. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to join the team that stands to make some money in these very hard times. <laughs> Hi, Simon. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. What's he blackmailing you for? I don't know. He hasn't told me yet, but I'm pretty sure he'll come up with something. That's not very good blackmail. I know. Yeah, he didn't. He offered me the evidence and then sort of set up a potential opportunity to extract money out of my pockets. But yeah, I'm just, I, I think this is one to watch if you ask me. I think there's there's more to come from this. But all I'll say, listener, is if you hear me say something that you didn't expect me to say and it's out in the world, it's probably not me saying it. It's probably producer Simon. And that goes double for if I actually said it. It's definitely producer Simon editing what I'm saying. Uh (laughs) Um, Nick, so um, can you tell us something about the nature of this blackmailing? Like, what have you supposedly done? Oh, he just edited something, so I said ass. I think that's pretty much (laughs) what it was. (laughs) Are you a couple of Peter Pans? Yeah, I mean, yeah. We are different ages, but our mental ages seem to be pretty well aligned, which is roughly 14, about, I guess... at 14. Be- between, between 12 and 14, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, like I said, if, if you see anything coming from his Twitter account that sounds like me, it isn't me, just so you know. Um, speaking of uh, forcing me to do things I don't want to do, like give people money, one of our listeners, Marion, suggested that having berated you for not paying attention to sport over the last couple of weeks that you could get your revenge by making me watch the tv show berlin berlin as it's just been added to netflix but is this something you've watched this show okay first of all nick i have to say hello to marianne hi marianne because he's a very excellently supportive listener and uh, he supports this tension we have between us Where I'm trying to get you to watch lightly incestual TV programs. But what? The thing is, <laughs> what? Lightly incestuous? So I'm saying it's lightly incestuous. Uh, so it's a sitcom which has won awards. So in 2004, the, uh, the series Berlin Berlin, or in German, as we say, Berlin Berlin, won an international Emmy Award in the category of Best Comedy for one of his episodes. And then in 2004, it won the Best Sitcom Award at the German TV Awards. And uh, the fact that it won these awards, I think, does not take away from the very dramatic and comedic element of um, the main character, Lola. She falls in love with her second cousin. And I have to ask you something here. Well, I'm Sri Lankan and I don't have second cousins and third cousins. I just have cousins. Our neighbors are uncles and aunties. Uh, people we see in the bus are uncles and aunties. You know, if you have to go past them and talk to them, say, auntie, can you move, please? You know, we are like that. Mm. Who is the second cousin, Nick? Well, 
I don't have any cousins because both my parents were only children. No friends, no cousins? What life is this? So, I, so I, I've managed, apparently I've managed to avoid a real big pitfall here where I might actually fall in love with my second cousin. So I've avoided that. I mean, it's, it's funny you mention this because I had this discussion with my wife and we were talking about going to see Simon next weekend. And I said to my daughter, I'm going to see Uncle Simon. And my wife said, he's not her uncle. And I was like, yeah, but that's the term we use. Like I had loads of aunties and uncles that weren't actually my aunties and uncles. But you sort of, if you've got a close family friend, you might call them uncle or auntie. That's totally reasonable. And that concept was so alien to my wife. She was adamant. She was like, you can't, it's not <laughs> how it is. And I'm like, yeah, it is. That's how it's going to be. Like close friends will be aunties and uncles in my mind. Mm. And I'll name them as such. And so I did find that funny that that dynamic, because I know in other cultures other than Sri Lanka, I think it's the same in Japan as well. I think okay. it's auntie and uncle. They, they sort of use that as a term of, of respect. For, respect. Yeah, older people who are... Honor, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And I think it's the same in a lot of different cultures. But it was funny that my wife went very German very quickly and was like, Simon is not a blood relative of yours and therefore... <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 whatever um it's he's still the uncle but yeah i don't have any i don't have any worries so you're basically you've recommended a comedy series for me to watch called berlin berlin that has mm -hmm. light to heavy incestuous undertones or subtexts or overtones overt narratives something yeah. like that mm -hmm. i i wouldn't say recommend i would say i urge so not in the sense of it's so good you have to watch it. <laughs> that's more than a that's more than a recommendation. <laughs> yeah, it is, but you know it doesn't mean that it's going to be pleasant for you. It depends on where you stand at, uh, with incest. By this time next week, I'll have watched at least one episode of Berlin, Berlin, and I'll report back on my findings. Okay. If I'm reading William uh, William Dalrymple, you're watching Berlin, yeah. Berlin. It's it's a trade off. Yeah, it's fair. Right. It's fair. It's fair. I'll do mm -hmm. it. I'll do it. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to it, but I will do it. You're not supposed to. Um, I will to. have to find... <laughs> All right. I thought this was meant to be something that I would enjoy. Thank you, Dilly, for giving me homework. You can take the teacher out of the classroom, but you can't take the classroom out of the teacher, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. I will... I'm not sure how much time I'm going to have for Berlin, Berlin, to be perfectly honest, because uh, at the moment, uh, I'm on the hunt for... Uh, kindergarten places of uh i did a visit to a kindergarten on friday and it was a bit weird a bit of a weird experience it wasn't quite Nick, ready. you have to tell me all about it oh well were you the only parents in the school was it like a private guided tour no 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 it was like an open day my wife's done two and i've done one we had an open day on friday it was a really nice kindergarten because mm -hmm. it's bavaria it's obviously religious uh, affiliated so it's a catholic kindergarten so i spent a lot of time going yeah when my dad was a vicar in uh in newcastle <laughs> <laughs> pointing at things going i remember that from sunday school so i did a lot of that but the experience was weird so there was loads of parents loads of kids the kids mm -hmm. interacted with each other as much as kids will when they've never met another child mm -hmm. before but it was like the parents were on different planes of existence Mm -hmm. and like the parents just didn't interact with each other so even mm -hmm. when you, we came into rooms and said hello to people they didn't always react 
And equally, when we were talking to someone in a room and someone came in, they wouldn't say hello to us. They'd say hello to the teacher, but they didn't say hello to us. And it was like we just didn't exist. It was really weird. And to the point that I had to get my coat to take a phone call and step outside. And I walked up to where the coats were, and there was two people standing in front of my coat. And they saw me walking towards them. They mm-hmm. looked at us and then just continued talking to each other. So then I had to go and shoulder gun and then moved out of the way. And I was just like, what is this? Like, what is this middle class kind of lack of perception maybe? In, or was it like a German kind of disinterest in their fellow man? I don't know. But that was a bit weird. Mm-hmm. But the actual sort of environment was nice. I just don't know if we're going to get a place. Like, that's the big question. So did you dress in something fancy for this? Were the others dressed differently? Luckily for me, I had a class assessment. So I was already dressed quite well. So mm-hmm. I'd already been sort of had a shirt and jeans and sort of nice shoes and a nice mm-hmm. coat. So I, I looked okay. I scrub up well. Whereas not everybody was the same. Some people were coming from work. You could see the division of labor with each each couple. Most, if not all of the mothers there looked like they'd made an effort. And most of the men looked like they'd just fallen out of a helicopter into a hedge, had been pulled <laughs> 40 feet, and then like presented at the doorway. So, all right, I see how this dynamic goes. A lot of like very engaged mothers, a lot of yawning fathers looking at their phones. And so that was the kind of experience for the majority of the time. What are you implying? Are you implying that the fathers do most of the childcare? Why the mothers stay at home and doll themselves up? Or? No, I just think the mothers perceive the importance of presentation differently from the fathers. Mm. But it is like you go, if you go, and then you should do this, right? Wait to the summer, right? Go to a park, go to a beer garden, go somewhere where there's going to be parents and their children mm. and watch fathers and how mm. quickly it takes for them to disengage from what's going on in front of them and start looking at their phones because mm-hmm. that happened a few months ago and it's something that i've had to be i try not to do now i try not to look at my phone when i'm out with my daughter mm-hmm. because it's it, uh, it's very easy to just disengage you sort of separate mm-hmm. yourself you basically create a digital block and maybe it's just me saying that maybe i'm putting my own neuroses on top of it but like that's what i saw you said division of labor so that's what i was wondering yeah, and that's what I felt. I felt like that was it. Like there was there was an understanding that the mothers had about the import the importance of looking presentable and the importance of this process compared to the mm. fathers. That's what I, I would sort of I would I would point to. And what about the kindergarten teachers? I mean, the way they were presenting things. Did you did you have questions, Nick? What were you worried about? Do you know the meal plan? I mean, they were, they were very forthcoming. They seemed very nice. Uh, some of the older ones seemed a little less engaged, but like fair play to them, you know? I mean, they're not really necessarily there to speak to us and they've probably seen loads of people like us anyway. But they seemed really, really nice. I felt comfortable. I felt like I could leave my daughter there and she would have mm. a good time. Yeah, they seemed really engaged. That's the thing with like sort of to a certain extent primary school teachers but also kindergarten teachers Mm. they've got a lot of energy a hell of a Mm. lot more energy but the one thing that was interesting though is there were all women there was no male teachers so i thought that was a bit yeah yeah that was the case i can understand that 
to a certain extent. I think a lot of men don't go into those roles because they're not considered sort of male mm-hmm. professions mm-hmm. to a certain extent, for which is which is obviously ridiculous. But mm. that was a that was something that I was like, oh, like the, the, all the teachers here are women, oh. but they were just lovely, very energetic, very enthusiastic. My daughter wasn't, so it was quite funny watching this very enthusiastic sort of teachers try to talk to my daughter and her just going, I want a colour. I'm going to play with these dolls. Go away. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like disinterested with engaging with anyone. But yeah, that was something that was notable, yeah. What about the meal plan? Is it the stuff that you make for your daughter at home? Yeah, they do like a lunch thing and I think there's like an afternoon sort of meal thing i think you can give them some food in the morning that they give like as a a morning break kind of thing mm-hmm. like in some kindergartens they don't give them any food if they leave at one o'clock mm-hmm. and some they don't give warm food it's only like broadside mm-hmm. but the, the meal plans were what you'd expect to find in the sort of south of germany which is like spätzler mit sauce close kirschbetzler those kinds of things and that's okay. fine because my daughter loves that kind of stuff yeah but that's the the kind of what's on offer and to be honest i'd have that for lunch can i come here for lunch yeah yeah it does it sounds good but i'm optimistic i'm hoping it will get a place but there's mm-hmm. no guarantees i keep my fingers crossed for you and your wife and your daumen drucken yeah daumen drucken yeah, yeah. yeah. daumen sind You know, Nick, someone I've quite admired is Jacinda Ardern. And Mm -hmm. I learned at some point that uh, she's just a few years older to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, seeing this really poised, emotional, I mean, she cries with people who cry. And she, Mm -hmm. her voice breaks when she talks and she's emotional. And this woman who's so comfortable doing that, I mean, I mean, she faces a country, the New Zealand, and uh, and also the world, and the fact that she can do all of that and be only a few years older was mm-hmm. a shock. And um, I think the way she's going about giving up her post as Prime Minister of New Zealand is something that makes me admire her even more. Yeah, I was quite shocked to find out that she was resigning, and I think the reason that she gave was the quote was like she no longer had enough in the tank Mm -hmm. her poise empathy and her ability to express emotion in a very clear-cut way Mm. in this being the perfect example yeah is really admirable and so yeah i was quite shocked to hear that she was leaving uh her position i was thinking about how it connects to to germany because there are a lot of prominent women in positions of power in germany who you've got to wonder how they deal with the same kinds of pressures. Yeah. Do you see parallels? Do you see sort of parallels between what Adern was saying about her experience of leadership, the threats, the mm-hmm. the abuse that was doled out to her? Do you see those parallels here in Germany with someone, say, like Annalena Baerbock? Or... I mean, I think Annalena Baerbock is... Um, also someone who's really like lived up to people's I mean people some people voted for her and voted for the party because of her and she's lived up to those expectations and also probably like gone beyond that Um, and but the way people talk about her on social media you know the dismissiveness uh, 
I mean, it's a reduction to them that she's a woman. Mm-hmm. The way people talk about her clothing, and even now we see with Jacinda Ardern, I mean, I think there were several Twitter posts about uh, how she's aged. It's it's very predictable, isn't it? Sadly, yeah, it is. I mean, we've seen similar headlines in Britain when it comes to uh, women in positions of power, but it is the case that prominent women suddenly become a lightning rod for abuse. I mean, hell, if you're a woman online, you're sort of open to abuse anyway. I think that's the experience I've learned from speaking to to a lot of different people, but also seeing it online Mm. and how attacks become very gendered very quickly, uh, especially if you say something controversial. When I think about when Annalena Baerbock was running or leading the Green Party in in the last election, Mm There seemed to be a lot of focus on the was it the Bill Zeitung or Zeit I forget which newspaper had a picture mm-hmm. of a mocked up as Moses with like all the things that she wanted to ban and there seemed to be like the media went after her much harder mm-hmm. um, a lot of the her opponents went after her specifically ad hominem attacks and things like that and I sort of not surprised that Ardena's aged because time is a thing that Mm. exists in the Mm. world right that's the first thing but i think it strains you it has to you know being in a position of leadership is one thing but having to deal with that day to day and i don't know if arden has twitter and things like that i know that bearbock has a twitter account how much Mm. he really looks at it or uses it is is debatable and how much any prominent female politician would use social media is debatable i mean Mm. if i was a, a pr advisor for a a woman in a position of power would be like, nope, don't use social media. We'll have a team do that. We'll have them work on it. You don't need to look at it. Don't have an Instagram account. Don't have a, mm. a, a TikTok. Don't have a Twitter account. Certainly don't have a Twitter account uh, because there are just the worst people out there. Um, I was thinking though, like, I mean, in Germany, the working culture, when people, I mean, in the workplace, we talk about the Frauenquarter. And uh, that's uh, encouraging women to apply for roles because we have a very small number of women employed in certain workplaces and we want to make sure that there are not only men. So if a woman and a man are tied and they've applied for a job, the idea is that if they both have the same qualifications and they are both similarly qualified for the role, the woman should get the job. I mean, I have met people who still think that this is very unfair. I mean, by people, I mean men, white men. And um, Oh, no, surely not a white man <laughs> saying something totally inflammatory and ridiculous. Not impossible. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so you have this idea that, you know, but because there is a Frauenquarter, the man, then, you know, he stands to get rejected. And, I mean, you're just explaining the process to me. I really don't see what's bad about it because a woman has a lesser chance of employment and so that is the sole reason why we have this idea of a Frauenquarter Hmm. but I didn't really get where these people come from but that's an argument that they have but they have the Frauenquarter in a lot of political parties too don't they because like the CDU have talked about it and there was discussion when Lambrecht resigned the other Hmm. week and like this is something I was thinking when Lambrecht resigned. I was like, I bet you they put a man in in that position. They did. I bet you they put a man in that position. And the reason I think they put chose a man and broke the sort of parity rule that they created within the uh, the cabinet where they were trying to have exactly fifty percent men, fifty percent women in positions in the cabinet. And I was like, 
because it will suggest capability to a certain section of the voting public. And I was like, even me, and I'm like, I don't like labels. We have very similar political views, but I'm not like waving a flag for feminism or anything like that. Mm. But what I would say is that even me, if I'd been advising them, I'd like put a man in that position because people will already straight away treat them differently and it will change the dynamic of the the, the narrative. The yeah. And the fact that I was thinking that upset me. <laughs> I was mm. just like, but it feels like it's true, right? It feels mm. like, and in the workplace, which I actually, we can talk about women in positions of power, mm. but I think really women in the workplaces is where you see the day-to-day grind of it all. Mm. You need frown quotas, you need to think in that dynamic because so often, and this was my experience working in large companies in Germany, the people who were making decisions were men, predominantly white men, white German men making decisions about who to employ, who goes into this position. And they would frequently choose other men and Mm -hmm. see them as qualified. And they could explain it away in whatever way they liked, but it did feel like there were fewer women in managerial positions than men. And then you'd have a conversation with someone and someone would say something like, oh, well, you know, it's because like people, women get pregnant. And so you can't like rely on them. And now you'd be like, whoa, I can't believe you said that. Like, I can't believe that exists in the world. Um, Yeah. I'll give you a prime example. I remember being in a company where they were creating a team who were going to work on a special project. Mm -hmm. It was a very important special project. And the entire team were men, right? Not all white men, but they were men. And I asked one of them, how come there wasn't a woman in the team? And they said, oh, we couldn't find anyone qualified. And I was like, really? In like a giant international company, you can't find a single woman to join this team? I do not believe that. And I, oh, no, they weren't qualified. I was like, fucking hell, man. Like, it felt like it was was a job for the boys, you know? And you see that kind of repeated in a lot of ways in the workplace. Does that surprise you, Dilly? I mean, it is surprising in the sense that we have the Mutterschutz. It applies to pregnant people when they're employed and um, what rights they have at work, um, how early can they go away for the birth, etc. And and you have these laws and you have the Frauenquote, you have Gleichstellungsbeauftragte, the Equal Opportunities Officer, apparently that's how it translates. And, and when you have these things in place, you would think that people tend to think of you know, approach the whole idea of women and pregnancy and women in the workplace a little bit, you know, with an open mind, a bit more informed. But the thing is, people just still stay in their little corners and they fight all of this. I mean, that's what they're doing, right? She's a woman, she has it easy, she can yeah. just take off. Um, and and, and mm-hmm. has what, like a, like a month and a half before the birth and a year after mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. it easy. That's the idea. I remember at a university, I had to read the flyer they'd uploaded on uh, the Mutterschutz, uh, which mm-hmm. is, um, it says maternity protection. And uh, it's about... Um, well, I guess it's like protection for, for, for mothers, really. I guess it's kind of like a, a rule that, about them returning to work and, and their, their rights. Yeah, maternity protection, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after the, after the baby is born, there is Elternzeit or parental leave. Mm. 
And <laughs> it was a flyer that started with, you know, these beautiful idealist sentences like, ah, now that your little one is there, it's very important mm. that you get to bond with the baby and that you're there. Yeah. And and then like a couple of sentences later, it says this does not apply to children or babies who are adopted. And then <laughs> I wish I wish I'd made a screenshot of that because that would have been like gold. And you read that, you know, like, oh, okay, so it's just about the parent who predominantly feeds the baby just being at home to feed the baby. Okay, fine, got mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. That sort of thing. And I don't know, I think Germany is in a place, it's like it has these progressive sounding laws uh, very grudgingly. And I would think that having something in place, it's a massive surprise to me that we actually have these laws passed in the first place. How did we get there? Who voted for this? I think broadly when you talk about the gender parity or you talk about equal rights between between men and women or anyone else for that matter, I think people are broadly quite liberal in their attitudes. It's only when you start drilling down into the detail that people begin to differ about what it what it means. You find that a lot. Obviously I'm not and we made this joke before, but obviously I'm not I'm not a woman in Germany, so I can only give my perspective as a man living in Germany. I'll tell you this, and this has been my experience of parenting. Everything seems set up in such a way to ensure that I can get away with doing as little parenting as humanly possible. Like everything seems to be designed almost. It feels like I'm I very much live in a patriarchal society. And I think the data sort of flows out from that people's opinions about who should be the primary caregiver to children who should be responsible for the home and obviously internally i have a desire to provide whether that's an acculturated or whether that's a lizard brain evolution thing like the stress i put myself on to make sure that my family are comfortable is one thing it was very much the case that everything that was about the the baby or dealing with the baby or dealing with maternity was very much directed the appointments were at a time that i would never be able to get to even the kindergarten appointments that we talked about before we had one on friday the next one was monday at 10 o'clock when i'm at work and so i can't go to that but my wife can right because she can get time off and she's on sort of maternity as well but she said there's loads of other mothers there too even the times of kindergartens that finished, you try and find a kindergarten around us that finishes any later than four o'clock and you'll be lucky. Some of them finish at three and you're like, how is someone meant to get a job? How is a woman meant to get a job and sort of compete against other people, which is kind of what you do in the workplace. I like the idea that we're all teams and all this stuff, but there is a level of competition for management positions. If you don't have a partner who's willing to, carry the slack and if the system's designed to ensure that i can get away with murder at every opportunity um whether that's the hours that i'm given at work whether that's the times that for the doctor's appointments whether that's the times for the kindergarten whether that's even just no one gives me shit Mm -hmm. you know like no one's calling me up and going you need to do more when i've let myself down and let my wife down when it comes to parenting Mm -hmm. it's my wife that's had to tell me like there isn't there isn't anyone else in the family who's ringing me up going, you know, Nick. And that's surprising given we live in Germany and people are so fond of telling everybody what they're meant to be doing. <laughs> um, that's my experience. Like, if I wanted to, I could be the shittiest parent and probably 
for the most part get away with it and and it's that's a very alarming realization yeah i think i can i can believe that i'm not a shitty parent by the way i try my best but i have my moments did not think you were <laughs> you sort of see this dynamic play out in the way that structures are organized in uh, with regards to parental leave appreciation of parenting even the treatment in certain ways of like sort of people who are responsible for kids if i'm like oh i can't make that appointment next week say where it's the hair bomber or say it's someone, they're more likely to go oh yeah yeah we understand like oh yeah of course the, the dad can't make it you've got to work right they'll like give me an out mm-hmm. there'll always be an out for mm-hmm. me there's no out for, for my wife in the same way mm-hmm. my wife's like oh i've got to work there is that still that element of the what's it they call the robin's robin mother the raven mother the 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 sort of idea that if you have the temerity to have a child and then try and go back to work that you're somehow a bad parent inherently because you've tried to do that no one's ever going to say that to me there's no robin vata right there's no like there's an expectation that i'm going to fuck off and go to work But like, if it was the other way around, God, uh, days that I dream of being a at-home parent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like the ten weeks I spent with my daughter were some of the the best times I've ever had, and I was like, I could really do this. Mm. I could, I'd happily look after my daughter, and m- my wife could go to work. But I think the perceptions of me would suddenly shift. Like, I'm less masculine, mm. and I think that would happen in a lot. If I went into a pub and someone went, "What do you do?" and oh, I'm a stay-at-home parent, they'd be mm. like, "All right." And that would seem a bit strange. Whereas yeah. I think it's quite a well, you have to you have to have both parents involved. It's not the nineteen twenties where I can just no. go into my study and close the door and not get involved. Yeah. And this on the flip side, I kind of feel that I'd probably get away with it if I wanted to do that. Mm. The only person who would be annoyed would be my wife, but I don't feel like anyone else in the family would be like, That's odd. You should yeah. be doing that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I've been living through this a little bit because um, my brother caused quite the stir in the family. They live in Australia and uh, I think my sister-in-law had three months of maternity leave and she can Mm -hmm. share that with her husband. So, um, Mm -hmm. which meant that both my brother and my sister-in-law were home together for a couple of weeks and he would change nappies. He would wash and bathe the baby and he was there and he was doing like the night shifts and everything along with my sister-in-law and when he told my mother that he was doing that my mother called me to say you've brainwashed him (laughs) (laughs) i wish i could take the credit i would gladly so there is like two aspects to that the one thing is that she thinks i'm kind of like uh, she thinks Mm. i have enough influence over my brother and the other Mm. thing is uh uh, she knows I am something and she doesn't have a positive attitude towards it. You don't conform to a particular sort of cookie cutter version of femininity that perhaps that she has. my mother inhabits. In, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, my parents are, I mean, seriously, if you've met my relatives, Nick, you would know that my parents are quite progressive. They're very supportive of mm. me and have always been. But sometimes, and I think they also grew up with us. They had like a second mm-hmm. adolescence, I think. But sometimes there is this leakage of extremely random and outdated ideas. And you're mm-hmm. like, how is this still going on in your head? And then this gets to my brother and my sister-in-law because my parents are also very close. Um, I mean, we are all very close uh, to each other. And I think now my brother realizes the kind of things that I had to fight my parents for because he's 
wife has to fight it mm. i'm actually quite happy mm. and and it's like my brother and i get to bond over this and laugh and joke so that's nice so i i grew up with quite like as i've mentioned before my parents divorced and i didn't really have a male role model in in my life for a, a long period and so i sort of clung on to people who look like male role models around us mm. and so like that's how i guess i built my personality and i suppose in some respects i'm lucky that they are the, they were the people they mm. were but the benefit of having two parents is is so obvious engaged parents not just one parent who turns up and the other one who's engaged like that's really important to just the basic stuff but the thing that i often think about when it comes to perceptions of gendered roles and and responsibilities is that i've been in rooms that are are full of men right mm. and i know what men talk about and mm. i know how men talk about women and it's been like that for my entire life i've been i played rugby when i was a teenager you can just imagine what that kind of co- those kinds of conversations were like university there was a lot of that as well very mm-hmm. sort of base conversations and i'd love to say that i was the one who was standing up going no you can't say that it's i wasn't right but i've also been in like i've said in offices where the same conversations play out mm. and you'll sit not in my current position but certainly in previous employment that i had you'd sit in rooms and you'll hear men say things that you're like i can't believe that's an actual thought that you felt you could express mm. comfortably and whether it's a derogatory comment or whether it's an opinion based on purely on gender based purely on a paper thin understanding of, of another colleague mm. like you'd see those conversations play out and it reinforces i think ideas in a lot of people and i think if you're in a position where your parents have those traditional perspectives i say traditional outdated perspectives mm. and then you go into a job with other people who also or the men who also have those same perspectives like how are you meant to win as a woman in that environment how are you meant to get the fulfillment that you're looking for you've already constructed it and i think germany is is changing and i think it's not always it's not as bad as i felt it was when i first arrived mm-hmm. and certainly i think things like the frown quota of a forced germany to think about these these questions of of treatment of women but the fact that you have to have a frown quota is a kind of a sad indictment we have mm-hmm. to have a rule and i remember the debate over the frown quota initially was like we don't need this and then you looked at the executive boards of of companies and you're like 3% of the people on those boards are women and that's where we were what 2015 or something when it when it came in and and it didn't surprise me though because i remember sitting in a meeting where someone said and i think i've mentioned this before in different contexts but i had a, a meeting with two managers of a department they said oh we've got a very diverse management team and i went oh really can i see the management team and they showed me a a slide with the pictures of all the people and it was uh, five white blokes and a woman <laughs> and that was their they they were like proud of diversity we're proud of our diversified management team and i'm like that doesn't look like diversity and actually that you look at studies and there's enough of them out there that show having diversity in decision making positions is vital because you have people who think differently you do not want groupthink groupthink leads to bad ideas bad mm. outcomes you want people who come from different perspectives getting people to understand that is one thing getting them to apply it is another 
Yeah. And there's still careers out there that are predominantly considered women's careers yeah. and men's careers. And I'd kind of hope with the shifting of, and so you see it with young people, the shifting boundaries of what gender is are changing for the better in my mind. Like it's way more fluid. It's a lot less siloed. And the hope is that we're moving towards a place where those kinds of perceptions are dying out. But it's going to take a hell of a lot of time because, yeah. as we know, people are living longer, right? And people are retiring <laughs> later. And so it's going to take some time before we see any actual change or shift, I would have thought. Actually, when I came to Germany, I didn't think that this is something that I would have to fight or face. And I'm surprised at my own naivete. I went head to head with my parents and I did not have my brother's support back then. He is younger. And there's so much that my parents had to learn to contend with. And I, I mean, we, we really changed it at home. And then I come here and you're like, oh, fuck, I have to start all over again. And this time on a hugely mm. massive scale and not just, you know, mm. in a little corner in my home. Yeah, I can't believe that I thought that it would be any different. But I suppose there's a learning curve. And yeah. It starts early, though. It really does. I've seen it since my daughter's been born. I fight the princess narrative, like at every mm. opportunity. People have bought clothes for my daughter with little princess and I've thrown them in a cupboard that they'll never see the light of day again. Because I'm like, Wonder Woman, yeah. Princess, no. I remember talking to Simon about this, my first experience of it, mm -hmm. going to a shop, seeing the contrast between yeah. what clothes the boys were getting and what clothes the, the girls were getting. And boggles my mind right my daughter has clothes with pockets in them they're, they're not pockets like why does why come my daughter not buy clothes with actual pockets in them i find that mind-boggling yeah right yeah. we're lucky we have um our sister-in-law makes clothes and she includes the biggest pockets you've ever bloody seen mm -hmm. and my daughter loves it because she loves filling her pockets with action figures and crap and biscuits <laughs> and running around the house and <laughs> producing some random thing that she's found from a pocket and it's kind of fun but I, it's those things that, like, that is, she's three, almost three. And that's something that we've had to contend with all the way through. To the point where I tell her all the time my favorite color is pink. And mm. it is now. I basically bought into it. And the reason I do that is it's a small, stupid thing. And maybe people think it's ridiculous. But I'm like, I want you to know that that isn't a feminine color. Mm. She's like, my favorite color is blue. And I'm like, my favorite color is pink. Mm. We were in the shop the other day and she brought me something in the shop in front of someone. And she went, daddy, daddy, it's your favorite color. Pink, Aww. pink's your favorite color. And the woman looked at me weird. And I was just like, <laughs> fuck you. Like, pink's a cool <laughs> color, right? Neon pink is the best color. And I, I know it's maybe a little bit performative, maybe. I don't know, right? But I don't fucking care. I do want her to understand that that's okay. That's normal. That's that. Even something as simple as that, so that she doesn't feel like that is her aspiration. Like she's got a toy kitchen, but she get, has a toy kitchen mm -hmm. because m my wife cooks. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering now if I have a boy, I do the washing up. Are we going to get like a toy basin, and my <laughs> son's going to learn like the washing up? I don't know, right? But like, I do want a situation where the gender norms aren't as fixed fixed yeah, yeah exactly where it it's okay for this to be true and that to be true yeah and i think it starts at home i think it starts really early yeah. i think you've really got to instill those values i've got a book that i bought when she was born mm -hmm. that's sitting on on my shelf that she won't get until she can properly read called i think it's 
bedtime stories for dangerous girls or something like that Ooh. or like rebel girls right <laughs> ah, okay. and it's basically stories of women through history like uh, frida carlo or, or something like that or it's um who else has it got on there it's got ada lovelace and ada lovelace is one of these people that everyone forgets but she's like she's called the sort of mother of computing but she was like without her computer science wouldn't mm-hmm. have got as far as, as it would have done but these are sort of stories that like they're not teaching in history class necessarily but they're stories of like independent empowered women mm. that i think are really important to tell not just little girls about but little boys as well mm. because you're like well this is how you sort of break it down but if it's just us doing it and our neighbors are doing it differently it's going to take a long long time for that culture yep. to change and 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 but i hope it does i really mm. do hope it does fingers crossed again oh yeah diamond drucken again there's a lot of diamond drucken here there's a lot, a lot of, of hope. fingers crossed <laughs> hope it's the last thing to die <laughs> <laughs> brings us to the end of the show me well i am going to go burn down the patriarchy i'll bring the petrol (laughs) if you're enjoying the podcast why not give us a rating on itunes which only takes a minute and can really help us you can also rate us on spotify so chuck some stars our way there as well retweet us share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home or lowercase on twitter or instagram you can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash decades from home and contributing to keep this boat afloat as ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algama, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All I have to say is thanks, and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Tschüss!